Welcome to the Graceway Sermon Cast. Graceway is a Baptist church located in Lexington, Kentucky. We have a heart for God and a deep love for people. You can learn more about our church by visiting www.gracewaylex.org. Now, here's this week's message. All right, this morning, uh, once again, we're in Romans chapter 12. Romans chapter 12, you'll find that right after Romans chapter 11. Isn't that cool the way numbers work? Uh, Romans chapter 12, we're gonna, we covered one verse of scripture last Sunday, and uh, well, we are blazing a trail right through, this, uh, right through this next section of Romans, aren't we? We're going to cover one more verse of scripture. We're going to cover verse number two today, so, uh, so we're going to pace ourselves through this. Like I mentioned last Sunday, uh, Romans 12 is packed full. It is chocked full of uh, truth that we need as the church. And just as I prayed just a second ago, uh, this is a section, this is the, the passage, tw- chapters 12 through the remainder of the book of Romans are going to deal primarily with now that I have received the gospel, now that I understand the gospel. And that's what Paul has been doing for 11 chapters, explaining what the gospel is, explaining why we need the gospel, explaining what God did to make the gospel available and what Jesus did, his part in the gospel, which by the way, the gospel is Jesus. You can't take the gospel, you can't take Jesus out of the gospel because if you do, you don't have the gospel anymore, right? If it doesn't imply Jesus, it's not good news because it doesn't offer true hope. And um, church, we, we have to settle on that and we have to believe that because that is the foundation of our faith, that Jesus is the king, that Jesus is the savior and Jesus forgives sins and that we are sinners, that's a belief that is kind of fades off uh, through different cycles of human, human history. Uh, I don't know about you, but I struggle to admit sometimes when I'm wrong. Anybody else have a problem admitting when you're wrong? Yeah, oh, just me. Okay, all right, the rest of you. I knew you wouldn't raise your hand because you got problems with it. If your hand's not up right now, we're talking about you. Okay, you get that? Um, we have a problem admitting our sin. We have a problem admitting that we need a savior. It's just built into our flesh DNA. But we must come to the understanding that we need a Savior, and his name is Jesus. And so chapter 12, it all shifts on that one word, right? We looked at therefore, right? Therefore, in light of the mercies of God, we've got to shift our focus. So in light of all the mercy that God has given us, what does it mean for us now to live in light of the gospel? So I want to just jump into chapter 12, beginning in verse number 1, and we're going to read verses 1 and 2. And then we're going to skip down into verse number 9. We're not going to really cover that word for word yet. We'll get to that in a couple more weeks. Um, But I do believe that we need to see how that looks in comparison or how it ties into chapter two, this or verse number two this morning. So let's look at verse number one, therefore, and again, that's that hinge, right? Anytime we see that word, therefore, we ask what is therefore, therefore, right? Well, here's why. Therefore, brothers and sisters in view of the mercies of God. So he says, brothers and sisters. So who's he talking to? To believers, right? He's not talking to the lost because they have not come to receive the gospel yet. He's speaking specifically to those who have, that are living according to the gospel. So brothers and sisters, in view of the mercies of God, what is the mercy of God? It is the gospel that has called us to salvation. It is the gospel that has saved us. It is the fact that we have been born, we have been raised from spiritual life and, and raised to spiritual, we've been raised from spiritual death to spiritual life. Let's not get that reversed, right? We've been raised from spiritual death to spiritual life. And he says this, because of the goodness of God, I urge you to present your bodies as a living sacrifice. 
A living sacrifice, meaning to whom much is given, much is required, right? God gave everything to us, therefore, we give our everything to him. And when we give our everything to him, he allows us to live as he intended for us to live. Interesting to understand, when we walk away from God's intent, because we think that that is hampering our life and what life would give us, we find that we don't live the life God intended and we don't live life to the fullest. When we sacrifice... We then live as God intended. So a living sacrifice. And then it says this. It says, it says, holy and pleasing to God. And this is your true worship. Now we jump into verse number two. Do not be conformed to this age. The word age there could be translated to this world or this culture or this world's system. But be transformed by the renewing of your mind so that you may discern what is the good and pleasing and perfect will of God. How many of you have ever said, I want to do the will of God if I only knew exactly what his will was for me at this moment? All right, let's look at verse number nine because I believe it begins to spell out what God's will is for a Christian living in light of the gospel. Look at verse number nine. Let love be without hypocrisy. When you love, love all the way. Love without limits. Detest evil. Cling to that which is good. Notice, notice it says detest evil. It doesn't say detest those who do evil. Detest evil. Cling to what is good. Love one another deeply as brothers and sisters. Outdo one another in... What are we? Oh, we got a little competition here, right? Outdo one another. All right, what do we outdo one another in? Potato salad at the potluck? No, we outdo one another in showing honor. In showing honor. Do not lack diligence in zeal. Be fervent in the spirit. Serve the Lord. Rejoice in hope. Be patient. I hate that word. Be patient in affliction. Be persistent in prayer. Share with the saints in their needs. Pursue hospitality. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Weep with those who weep. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be proud. Instead, associate with the humble do not be wise in your own estimation. Do not repay anyone evil for evil. Give careful thought to do what is honorable in everyone's eyes. If possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. Friends, do not avenge yourselves. Instead, leave room for God's wrath because it is written, vengeance belongs to me and I will repay, says the Lord. But if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. For in doing so, you will heap fiery coals on his head. Do not be conquered by evil, but conquer evil with good. Or do not become overcome with evil, but overcome evil with good. Holy Spirit, I pray this morning that you will be our teacher. That you will illuminate us. You'll do that work of illuminating us to your truth today. And I pray that as your speaker, your messenger this morning, Lord God, that I would not say anything that would contradict you or your purpose in this time together. Speak to us and help us to take what you feed us with to digest it and to let it change us from the inside out, God, that we don't be conformed. We don't just settle for conformity, whether it's conformity to the world or conformity to uh, just a religious practice, but that we are transformed from the inside out. So I pray this morning you would have this time and you would have your way in our hearts. In Jesus' precious name we pray, amen. 
Focusing in on verse number two this morning, do not be conformed to this age, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind so that you may discern what is the good and pleasing and perfect will of God. And then we see the seriousness of that if you back up in verse number one where he says, therefore, brothers and sisters, in view of the mercies of God, and I tell you, if we were to say, what is the mercies of God, that would probably take about three years of sermons to review the mercies of God, and then we would only be scratching the the tip of the iceberg. The mercies of God are endless. So he says, in view of the mercies of God, which is a view that never ends, here's what you need to do. You need to present yourself a living sacrifice and you just go ahead and decide that you're not going to be conformed to this world and the way of this world and the flesh, which leads to death. No, you're going to be transformed to the kingdom of Christ, to the way of the gospel, to living according to his word. And then we see how that manifests itself in verses 9 through the end of the chapter, which we're going to spend an entire message on that alone in just a couple of weeks. So let's focus in on chapter or in verse number 2 really closely. And we're going to break this verse down and look at it. But just by way of review, last Sunday, see, I, I, I was foolish in my attempt to try to cover verses 1 through 2 together. Really needed to break that up. And so God just said, we're going to break it up anyway. I'm going to break it up for you, which I'm thankful for that. And I'm sure you're thankful for that too. Um, but um, just kind of as a, as a way of review from last week, we looked at verse number 1. And we saw that verse number 1, as we are living in light of the gospel and the gospel as it applies to every believer, we see two specific things. We see one specific thing that it teaches us in verse number one, and that is this, that the gospel, as it applies to believers, we look at the gospel many times as being that message that calls us to repentance and calls us to salvation in Christ. And yes, that is the gospel message. When you share your faith with someone, you are presenting the gospel message and you're giving a gospel invitation to someone to say, will you receive Jesus as your savior? But the gospel doesn't just apply to the lost. The gospel applies to the saved. The gospel informs the lost, but it transforms the saved. Okay, that's the, that's kind of the easiest way to put it. The gospel informs the lost of their need for a savior, but the gospel is to transform the saved into being like the savior. So what does it mean for that? And why does the gospel need to be applied to the saved as well? Because the gospel is meant to challenge us. The gospel is meant to challenge us. I don't know about you, but sometimes I wake up on days and I don't necessarily feel as good of a Christian as I would like to be. I don't feel like the gospel is making as much of a difference in my life as I should probably see it happening. I don't feel like I'm growing as much as I should be or I'm being sanctified or I'm giving myself in obedience to God as much as I could. Now, that's not God's fault. That's me, right, um, when that happens. It's kind of like that old, that old story that preachers have told forever about this couple that was driving down the road in their old Buick. And, you know, remember those old cars that had like the bench across the front of it, right? You know, the old ones, they, they don't have those anymore. They got the console for your cup holder and your Starbucks and all that type of stuff now. Well, it used to be that you had the bench across the front, right? And the couple, when they were dating and when they were, you know, when they were courting and, and, and in the first years of their marriage, man, so, so they used to sit right up close together and he'd have his arm around her as he's driving. Or if it was a real progressive family, she'd have her arm around him as she was driving. I don't know. Um, so anyway, they, they were really close and they were snuggling as they were driving down the road and stuff. And then one day, you know, they've been married, I don't know, let's just use 20 years, right? Uh, Stacy, if she stays with me for another week or so, we'll be married for 20 years. Uh, so let's just use that as an example. Um, Stacy and I are driving down the car or driving down the road together in one of these old cars, right? Because 
I'm so good at restoring cars, aren't I, baby? Yeah. So uh, that's our, that was my wedding gift to her. We do, we do that. Okay. So we're driving down the road, and I'm just driving along, and there she is. She's fuming out the window, right? And she's mad. And I can tell, and I look over, and I, in my, my calm, you know, sacrificial husband kind of voice that I always use and never, never use anything other, say, sweetheart, you seem to be a little miffed today. What is wrong? And she says, just... I'm just thinking about, look at us, look at us, look how far we've grown apart. Look at this. You, we used to, back in the day, we used to just ride down the road and I'd be sitting right next to you, your arm around me. And now look at us. We're just far apart from each other. If the, we couldn't be further apart if the car doors weren't here. And I just look over with that sweet, you know, discipling voice of mine and say, sweetheart, I'd like to remind you, I'm not the one who's moved. You know, anyway, I'm in trouble later on. So if anybody could take me in, (laughs) I appreciate that. Um, No, but this is God. Anytime that we've moved away from God, we've walked away. We are the ones who've walked away, right? God doesn't move. He doesn't change. That's for our benefit. It's not because God is trying to say, look, I'm always right. But which he is, it's because you know where to find me when you wander, right? You know where to find me. And here's how much God loves us too. Even when we wander, his son as the shepherd finds us and calls us back. This is the goodness of God and this is how the gospel challenges us. It challenges us to draw close and to stay close and not only to stay close, but to bask in the glow of the Savior and to live close to the Savior. So the gospel was meant to challenge us for a couple of things. It was meant to challenge us to review God's mercy. Every day, wake up and review how good God is. This is why the Lord's Prayer, in the model prayer that God gave, it starts with, our Father who art in heaven, what does it say? Hallowed be thy name, right? Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. What does that do? It's calling us to look up. A lot of times when we bow to pray, we're, we're looking down at all of our problems and what we need to do first in prayer is look up and realize that the person I'm getting ready to offer my prayers to is already on it and is already over this. It's a challenge for us to review the mercies of God every single day. Sometimes we can lose focus of how good God is. Sometimes we can. Sometimes we can get so lost in the muck and the mire that we lose track of his sovereignty and his control and his presence. And when we can't see him as clearly, we begin to wonder where he is. But that's why we need to review the mercies. And then last Sunday we looked to it's a challenge to live a gospel-centered life. It's a challenge as we review the gospel and review God's goodness and his sacrifice and his sacrificial love that we review all of that. It will then urge us to be gospel-centered. And that's where we see that part, make your bodies a living sacrifice that is holy and pleasing to God. Meaning I give up my life, I give up my plans. All of my plans, all of my desires, all of my, all of my designs, I give them to you, God. Because if I'm willing to give you my eternity, I need to give you my present too. I think the church would do, would do wonderful to understand that this gospel that we preach doesn't kick in the moment we draw our last breath. The gospel that we preach once, he, once we're saved, it kicks in the moment we are baptized in the spirit, the moment that Jesus saves us, the moment we cry out, God, be merciful to me, a sinner, and the glory of salvation comes upon us and his blood washes over our sins and his life is infused in us. That's when the gospel kicks in. That's when the gospel starts. So we're to live a gospel-centered life and at the risk of re-preaching the whole thing, let me just give you the third sub-point that we looked at last Sunday. It's a challenge to worship him without conditions. And that's where Paul said in verse number one, this is my true worship. 
or it's my reasonable service. It's my logical response. Because of what God has given me, what God has done for me, how can I not worship him? How could I withhold from him everything that he is deserving of? How can I engage in a style of worship or in an attitude of worship where it's all based upon what makes me feel good or what I like or whether I want to offer it, whether I feel like I can or should offer it, that God's worthy of everything that he asks for us. So this morning, as we move into verse number two, and this is point number two in the message, is that the gospel is not just meant to challenge us, the gospel is also meant to change us. The gospel is meant to change us. And you may sit there and say, well, well, no, duh, pastor, when you can't get more changed than dead to alive, you can't get more changed than on my way to an eternal hell to on my way to an eternal heaven. But what I'm saying is the gospel is also meant to change us daily as well. It doesn't just change us for eternity, but the gospel changes us every day as we submit to his authority and we submit to his design. It's a term that we call sanctification. That's a big big fancy seminary word, right? Sanctification. But what that really means is God has saved me for eternity, but every day the gospel does a work of sanctification, meaning he is growing me and setting me apart step by step, season by season, growing me into his use. That means that the gospel and being saved is not just a static thing. This is why as a believer or in, in, and in life, we don't settle for a baby that is born that 20 years later, they're still a baby. That, is seem, that seems weird and medically there's something wrong there, right? Living things grow. That's the byproduct of life. So a living sacrifice will grow in his sacrifice and be sanctified and set apart. And in that sanctification process, we become more like the one who saved us. That we grow in the nurture and the admonition of the Lord and we become more Christ-like, which is what the word Christian means, by the way, right? Christian means little Jesuses or like Christ. So we've been raised to this. And look what it says again in our verse, okay? Don't be conformed to this age, but transformed by the renewing of your minds so that you may discern what is a good and pleasing and perfect will of God. So the first challenge that we see, the gospel gives us some challenges that we see here, right? The first challenge is a change in my moral compass. It's a change in my moral compass. And look what it says, the very first part of number two. Do not be conformed to this age. Do not be conformed to this age. That word conformed there is from the Greeks. Uh, here I go, ready, practicing my Greek. Siskimatizo. Siskimatizo, all right? That means to be shaped by being forced into a pattern or into a mold. And then it says, do not be conformed to what? To this age, which is, uh, some translations say, to this world or to the ways of this world. It's from the Greek ion, which means simply an age or a time that is applied in a cultural way. So as we look through history, we may study cultures and shifts in cultures and shifts in values and all of those things. And this is what Paul is saying. Do not be conformed. Do not be pressed around and be forced to take on the mold of your current culture and your current environment, but be conformed to the image of Jesus Christ. So to get a, a good picture of this, think about pouring a candle or a bunch of hot wax into a mold right? What's going to happen to that wax as it cools in that mold? 
It's going to end up taking the shape of whatever you pour that wax into, into that mold, right? Or concrete or something like that. I love to watch these five-minute craft videos on, on Facebook and stuff where they'll, they'll take this stuff now and they'll, it's weird. I don't know why, but they'll, they'll take and, you know, for a ring holder, they'll take and they, they put their hand in a bucket and then they'll pour this stuff that hardens and solidifies around the hand and they mold the hand. And then they'll take their hand out and then they'll pour concrete or wax or something into the mold and then... They take that stuff off of it, and then all of a sudden you got a wax hand or a, a concrete hand, and then they'll turn it into a candle or they'll turn it into a ring holder or something like that. It's weird, strange, okay? But that's the idea of what it means to be conformed to this age. We are either pouring ourselves as believers into the mold of the world that we live around and allowing ourselves to be shaped by the values, by the thoughts, by the practices of this present age— Or we are allowing this present age to get inside of us so much that it shapes us as well. So we can take one of two two ways. I can desire so much to be like the world that I pour everything into it. Or I can be like, have so many things coming at me that I feel this force and this pressure of being shaped to that. I think there's a lot of a balance of that that takes place when you live as a kingdom minded person in a world that is not set to the kingdom of God. And we have to kind of admit that over the years, especially in the United States, which is always prided, especially as I've grown up in church my whole life, church, we always prided ourselves on the fact that we live in a Christian nation. We have not been a Christian valued nation for decades. We have not been. And here's, here's how we live in light of that. Just don't be conformed to the age. Understand that we've never been able, and our, ne- our call was never to conform the age to even the kingdom of God. It was to show Jesus to them. To show Jesus. And we have to make sure that we show Christ in an unashamed and loving and compassionate way to where it becomes desirable to say, look, my life is falling apart because as I conform to this age, it doesn't fulfill me. But that guy over there seems like he's fulfilled and he can smile and what is it? It's Jesus. Jesus is making the difference, right? He says, don't be conformed. See, so as believers, we've been raised to a new life that is eternal, and it means that we're to set our hearts and our minds on what is eternal and not on what is temporary, because culture, all culture is temporary. It's geographic and it's ethnic, right? One perfect example of this is is that tomorrow, the whole world's not going to go blow up fireworks. Just the United States is. Why? Why? Because Independence Day applies to the United States. Now, what might happen is you may have some like, U.S. people living overseas somewhere, and they're going to go try to blow up fireworks, and people are going to look at them like they're crazy. Right? But you see, our culture, the world that we live in, this age, this present age, it's always shifting. It's always shifting in its values and its concepts. But this book right here, church, this book doesn't change. The God of this book that breathed this book and the truth and breathed the promises, he doesn't change. He doesn't change. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. That's why he says, don't be conformed to this world that's shifting at all times, but be transformed by the renewing of your minds. This means that we're to live in the world, but we're not to be of the world. We're to influence the world or this age towards the eternal and holy culture of heaven. And that's not easy to do, right? Because history has proven that in many places and many periods of Christian history, Christianity has been illegal. This verse applies in that context to a people who feel maybe afraid to share their faith. Maybe afraid to admit that they're Christians. Afraid to invite someone to church because it could cost them their lives or it could cost them jail time. 
It led to being arrested or beaten or even executed. But to put, into, uh, to put into context, the Apostle Paul, who was used to pin the very words that we're studying, eventually was executed for his faith. The very one that the Spirit said, write the words, don't be conformed to this age, was eventually executed because he wouldn't conform to the age. And even in times when Christianity was legal and may have been the religion of the day, those who truly follow Christ were hated by people who were more legalists and pharisaical and who corrupted the faith for their own gain and for their own power. Saw that happen through the medieval times of history where the church and, and, and power married in a way that was just really corrupt. Jesus himself said that his followers, past, present, and future, would be hated, persecuted, and reviled for following him. Church, this is the job description of a believer that as we follow Christ, people are going to hate us. Now, I don't believe that we do. We go and do the work. Be like, I'm going to help that process along and just be jerks for Jesus. Okay, we don't need to be doing that. But as we love the way that Christ intended to love, there may be people who love us for a while, but then they're going to eventually hate us. Remember, a lot of people loved Jesus when they were getting bread and fish, but they hated him when he was on the cross. See, today there's probably more pressure than I have ever remembered in my personal life to conform to the age, right? Sexual revolution has put immense pressure on believers to ignore the biblical sexual ethic of monogamy or saving yourself as pure until you're married or to refrain from living together outside the bonds of marriage. It's almost unheard of today that we, that we address that cohabitation and, and, and all of that. It's almost expected today that you know, to save yourself for marriage is like a thing of the bygone past. It's still in the book. Our age has placed the most recently a great deal of pressure on believers to be affirming of homosexuality, bisexuality, polyamory, and all kinds of things. And as it progresses, it's the nature of sin that it'll progress into other things one day. Our kids may one day be dealing with a sexual revolution in the way of pedophilia should be acceptable or other things like that. Pressure to embrace transgenderism, transsexuality, which asks us to deny the imago Dei or the fact that God is the creator and has a design for us. God creates us all male and female with a specific design and purpose for our creation. Things that scriptures say is clearly sin or a God-given right should be embraced as diverse and celebrated. Folks, that's the pressure that we're at. There's pressure to conform to selfishness and self-promotion. We love living in America, but there are some things that we must spiritually keep in check about the American dream, right? See, God doesn't intend for us just to hoard everything that we can get and enjoy life to the hilt. He intends for us to use the blessings that he's given us to help others who are poor and needy. See, amassing and hoarding wealth while people all over the world are not seen even having their basic needs met first... I believe sometimes something is we're going to have to answer for as American believers. Getting so wrapped up in politics that we truly come to believe that only one candidate or one party is able to save our nation and keep it on track. Well, guess what? Saving a nation is not, is not within the job flow or even the job ability of the Democratic Party or the Republican Party. Saving the nation has always been in the job description of God Almighty. Because when we're talking about saving, we're talking about salvation. Being so obsessed with entertainment and celebrities that we endlessly scroll through our phones for hours while struggling to find just a few minutes to open our Bible and hear from heaven. See, we've got everything out of whack. Being conformed to this age, it, 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 it manifests itself in a lot of different ways. A lot of different ways. I could go on and on, but I'm going to stop there.
The point is that as believers, we are not of this world and we should not be conformed to it. And no matter how much pressure may be placed on us to do so. Now, let me reiterate again. Just because you may think that a certain sin may be icky or yucky or gross, and because you don't struggle with it, it is therefore worse than anything else you do struggle with. No, we need to understand that sin is sin, and all sin carries the same sentence, and that is death. So it doesn't matter whether a person is engaged in a socially acceptable sin, or whether society shifts to where one that used to not be acceptable is all of a sudden acceptable. Sin is sin, and it carries the same sentence, and that is death. And as the church of Jesus Christ, we need to be concerned about the sentence of sin, not more than we're concerned about the practice of sin. Because that's why God hates sin. God hates sin because sin kills his creation. So that means we don't get to be jerks and make people try to feel horrible in their sin. No, conviction's going to do that enough. The Spirit does that. We love people. We love, and we, man, we sacrifice in order to love people. But love in our society today means open permission for whatever makes sense to you. That's not biblical love. Biblical love is that God could not give us permission to do what destroys us. But here's what he did in biblical love. He sent his son to redeem us and call us to repentance. And if we will repent, he will restore us. That's the beauty of the gospel, isn't it? So we're called to, and we are offered something much greater and deeper than being conformed. We're called to something called transformation. And that's what the second thing is. It's a change in my thoughts, not only a change in my morals, but a change in my thoughts. Look at verse number two again. It says, don't be conformed to this age, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. That word transformed in there is from the Greek metamorpho. Sounds a lot like a word that we learn in science class, doesn't it? Metamorphosis, right? Can everybody tell me what animal you automatically think of when you think about metamorphosis? The butterfly, right? And then he says, be transformed or be metamorpho by the renewing of your mind. That word renewing in the Greek is anakistos, which means made new, like completely new, like we're a new creation. There's a book that I used to love reading to, to the girls, both girls actually, when they were little. Um, and they're not so little anymore. Which, by the way, welcome home, Natalie. We're glad you're here. Uh, welcome home back from GSA. Uh, we used to read this book to the girls called The Very Hungry Caterpillars. Anybody know which book I'm talking about? Right? Um, a sweet book. It's awesome. And, and, and sometimes I feel like The Very Hungry Caterpillar because it's talking about a caterpillar that's getting ready to go into the cocoon. You know, on Monday he eats through an apple and then he eats through this and then he eats through that. And, all. and I was like, that's me. That's daddy. I eat through everything, right? Um, but then he gets so full and everything because he's preparing himself to go into the cocoon. And he is going to get rearranged and everything. And now the very hungry caterpillar doesn't go into the science of all that's happening. They're, that, the, that all the atoms are literally, you know, breaking down into this ooze and they're being reshaped and everything like that. What happens in metamorphosis of a butterfly, a, a butterfly or a, a caterpillar doesn't just go into a cocoon and grow wings and come out as a butterfly with wings or as a caterpillar with wings. No, it goes in and everything breaks down and everything repositions and organs are put in different places and everything takes place inside that cocoon as God designed it and they come out. They're no longer a caterpillar. They are now a butterfly. But here's the beautiful thing about that. God has already given that caterpillar at the moment of its creation everything that it needs inside of it to be rearranged into that butterfly. But the difference was that the caterpillar 
submitted itself to the call of nature to go into that cocoon and be rearranged. There are caterpillars that never go into the cocoon. And they never find out what it is to be a butterfly. This is what Paul is painting the picture of here. Right? He's saying, be transformed by the renewing of your mind. The gospel informs us of our need for a savior. Of our need for transformation. But we must submit ourselves to that transformation. God has given us everything we need. But we must submit to his design. It's a change it is a change in my thoughts. It's a change in the way I see the world. In the book, the girls were always excited when the caterpillar emerged as the butterfly. And have you ever thought about this? How much life changes for the caterpillar? Think about the caterpillar's life. Rolling on the ground, all hairy and fuzzy and nasty looking and stuff. You know, feeding on trash and whatever it can find. And then it emerges as a butterfly and his life is no longer lived on the ground anymore. It's lived in the air, lived in trees, lived from a higher perspective. Pollinating beautiful flowers. This is what the gospel does for us, church. It literally changes us from crawling on our bellies. Muck and mire of sin to living above that being brought above that with the wings of faith and the wings of the gospel and the wings of salvation. Not to get too dramatic, but do you catch the picture? This is a picture of what the understanding of the gospel does for us. The gospel doesn't just make us better caterpillars. It doesn't just make us caterpillars with wings. The gospel transforms us into butterflies, into a new creation, brand new creations with reorganized purpose, reorganized function, and reorganized perspective on everything. And that perspective is gained by having our minds renewed and made new in Jesus. Before, we were stuck in the mindset of flesh and of sin, and now we've been renewed into a mindset of holiness and righteousness and of worship. See, my mind is no longer just set on this world. My mind is set on what is to come and how I can make what is to come just a little taste of that here on earth. It's not only restricted to the here and now and the hardships of the here and now and the struggle of the here and now, but my mind is set like we sang a minute ago on the hymn of heaven. It's set on what's going to happen one day when we see Jesus face to face. It changes everything when our minds are renewed. Here's what Paul says in 2 Corinthians. Every proud thing that is raised up against the knowledge of God. And we take every thought captive to obey Christ. Taking every thought captive to obey Christ, meaning I won't be conformed to what I used to think. And I won't be conformed to the way the world thinks. But I'll check everything against what God says. And that's how I'll think. Here's the prayer that we can always pray. God, give me the mind of Christ. Give me the mind of Christ. Give me the spirit of Christ. And think about Jesus. Jesus was the one that, 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 that the tax collectors and prostitutes walked away saying, I love that guy. That guy loves me. But they also walked away changed because they were called to repentance and transformation. See, Jesus loves the sinner, but he loves them too much to leave them the way they are. So there's a change in my thought, and there's a change in my motivations as well before we close out this morning. If my motivation doesn't change, I'll always be at war, struggling for changed morals and thoughts. Look what it says in verse number, uh, verse number two again. It says, the renewing of your mind that you may discern what is good and pleasing and perfect will of God. This is where a lot of people struggle 
They lie in, they, they never trade in for transformation. They just try to settle on confirmation or being conformed and conformity. So I don't want to be conformed to the world, so I'm just going to conform myself to religion. This is where you get that idea of works-based salvation, that if I just do churchy things, it will make me a churchy person. And we look and we focus more on what we're doing rather than what God is doing within us, the growth that is taking place. According to this, pa- this passage, what is the fundamental motivation of a believer? It says, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind so that you may prove what is the good and perfect and acceptable will of God. The goal of the believer is to discern, to test, and to prove, and to determine. The goal is to do, or is to know and do the will of God, right? That should be our desire, to know God and to do his will. That's what we've been saying in every passage so far. We've seen throughout Romans, the purpose for being created was to bring glory and honor to Christ and to our creator. Then we saw that sin corrupted that purpose, and then we saw that God in his mercy and grace and his love for us gave Jesus so that we could be set back on the road towards that purpose. So the gospel exists to save us, but more ultimately, the gospel exists not only to save us, but to change us and repurpose us for the glory that he created us originally for. And we bring that glory to God by doing his will, and his will is so good. I love what John Phillips says in his commentary on Romans. says, God cannot ask us to do anything that is not for our eternal good. So for those of you who might be struggling with something that you feel God is calling you to do, but you feel like it's not going to end up good, God will never call you to something that is not for your eternal good and for his glory. He will never. Might it sometimes be tough? Yes, but it will be for your good. Always. God's glory is our good. I watched... A TikTok the other day, and oh, why did I get on TikTok? But I watched this TikTok the other day as this guy tore down the Christian faith because in his words, and this is what he said, Christianity preaches that there's a God that is so loving that he would hold such a grudge at not getting his way with humanity that he kills his own son out of anger so he could forgive me and set me free. But what freedom can only be enjoyed by enslaving myself again to everything that he wants from me? I can't be free to do what I want. No thanks. You can keep that, God. Did you catch that? It's all based upon a non-renewed mind. It's a faith that is where we conform God to our image rather than being conformed to his and transformed to his. See, what we miss in our non-transformed mindset is that God's glory and his will for our lives is our good. God may not call us to everything we want right away. Because guess what? We're flawed human beings. We may not always want to do the right thing. And God will always call us to the right thing that is for our good. See, when God told Adam and Eve not to eat the tree, it was for their good. But they wanted to eat the tree because they thought it was better that they knew like God, like the serpent had said. But what did we find? God was right. He said, the minute you eat of that tree, you'll die. You'll die. When God compels us to live a life that is pleasing to him, it's for our good because there's an eternity waiting, not just the here and now. It's not just here and now where I need to feel good for the moment. There is an eternity waiting that I need to be redeemed for. See, his will is pleasing. Other translations say that it's acceptable. God will never ask us to do anything that we cannot do through his strength and his equipping Sometimes God asks us to do some scary things. Step out in faith into the unknown. And here's the promise that we step out with. I will equip you as you go. I will equip you for everything you need. 
Because it's not just about you being known, it's about my glory. His glory and reputation is at stake if he does not equip us. Remember that. Philippians 4.13 says, I'm able to do all things through Christ who strengthens me. 1 John 5.3 says, for, it is what, it, for this is what love for God is, to keep his commands, and his commands are not a burden. God's will for us is good, and God's will for us is complete, and his will is also perfect. That means that no plan of ours can improve on God's plan for us. You ever tried to help God out? I think a lot of times we do that, right? I think as a church, sometimes we do that, don't we? Yeah, we got the gospel message, but man, it's 2022. We're going to have to do something else that reels them in and bags them and tags them. Really? How are we to improve on the gospel? Hmm? How can we improve on the gospel? We can't because we couldn't provide the gospel. We can't improve on something that we, we couldn't even come up with on our own. And this is the center of our struggle sometimes. We struggle with how God is working or moving in our lives or in the world. But remember that we only see bits and pieces of the picture along the way. I'm finding the older I get, the more forgetful I am. And when I'm talking forgetful, I'm talking about, I can't find my keys. I'm talking about, it's a weird, it's a weird phenomenon when I can remember things that took place when I was six years old. But I can't remember what I had for breakfast this morning. Did anybody else go through that? Right? I, I, I think it's been, it's been a good, what, two or three years, ladies, that I've called you by, your first, by, by the appropriate name first, right? Like, I forget, I'm, like, I'm looking at this person, I've lived with them my whole life, and I have to run through four options of names before I finally land on the right one, right? But here's the thing about God. While we may struggle with the things that we don't know in the future, or we may struggle with the things that we'd rather forget, God's going to use all of those things. All of those things for his glory and for our good and turn them into beauty. His will is pleasing. It is good for us. He's working in the midst of all of it to lead towards his glory. So as we close out this morning, I kind of feel like I was all over the place today because I really didn't follow my notes real close. It just kind of was there this morning. Don't be conformed to this age. Okay, what does that mean? How does that look in the way you live your life today? How do you find yourself being pressured to conform to this age today? I'm not just talking about politically or uh, preferentially. I'm talking about what is it about this age that is in absolute combat with what you know the word says to be true? And in what ways are you being conformed to that? And I'm talking about combat that you know that as people follow that path, they are following the path to death. They are following the path to destruction. They are following the path to distance from God. How does that mesh with your heart and your spirit? Does it lead to a Christ-like response of concern and love? I think sometimes one of the problems with the American church today is that the dying and lost world sees us standing with bald fists like you ain't gonna change us when they need to see us on our knees with tears streaming down our face saying the way that you're walking is towards death find Jesus just like Jesus when he said on the cross father forgive them for they don't know what they do we're coming to a day and age within our culture and in our world 
where it is going to be quite possible for a person to live and be born and die without ever hearing the truth of God's word in the United States of America. falls on us, church, to share that message, but to share it from a perspective of, I'm sharing with someone who this is brand new news. Brand new news. That means we have to start way down here before we ever get up here. And the biggest thing that a person needs to know is you're dead and you can live in Jesus. So what I think the people need to see from the church is not bald fists and gritted teeth of you all have just moved away from Jesus. No, we, the lost never were with him. Ever. And we must call people back. Call people to Christ. Call them to Christ. Have you been changed by the gospel? Are you being changed by the gospel? Have you been challenged by the gospel? And are you answering that challenge? As we close out this morning, I just invite you to open your heart as you close your eyes to Jesus and what he has spoken to you from this message this morning. That even in the, the frailty of the speaker, the glory of God has been communicated. Heavenly Father, will you do your will and way in this time of invitation and this time of response? Maybe there's somebody that is laying right now on our heart that we need to come and pray for. Maybe it's someone that we know doesn't know you that we've been witnessing to, or maybe it's someone that we know that is struggling with their faith or questioning things or not wanting to live a transformed life. And we come to pray that God would, that you would change that. So Father, as we surrender our time to you now, would you move in us? In Jesus' precious name we pray. As we stand today, if you need to come for any reason, would you please do so? Thank you for listening today. At Graceway, our strongest desire is to glorify Christ by telling everyone about his grace. If you have questions or are in need of spiritual help, please reach out to us by visiting www.gracewaylex.org and click on the Contact Us section. Or you can email us at gracewaylex at gmail.com. Our worship services are held each Sunday at 1030 a.m. We'd love to worship with you this week. Until next time, take care and walk in the way of grace.